Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Hey, thanks everybody for coming out to uh, Testimony Sunday. This is... um... This is one of my favorite times in the life of our church, and we used to, it's kind of become a tradition for us, and we used to do it annually, but we've now kind of moved to doing it semi-annually, uh, so this is our second time this year, and uh, man, we're, we're pretty pumped about it. These, these brave souls are going to be uh, sharing their, some of their life's journey with us this morning, and so man, that's, a, that's an intimate thing to do. It's kind of a you know, you're, you're sitting up here, everybody's looking at you, and your story's displayed on the screens, and uh, so be in prayer for them, and I would encourage you to be in prayer for yourself as we go through this morning. There might be a place in their lives or a theme in their lives or some situation that you, that kind of, you're like, you know what, I see some of my story and their story, and so our encouragement this morning would be for you to see that God is with you in your story. He is the author of your story. He loves you. He never abandons, he never leaves, he never forsakes, and he works all things for his glory and your good. And so we're going to see testimonies to that very fact this morning. And uh, you're going to see uh, about five-minute video testimonies of each person, and then I'll have some follow-up questions for them. And um, so we're going to begin this morning uh, with Kyle Hood. This is Kyle's testimony. Born in Southern Mississippi, grew up there for the first five years. Back then, my dad was a music minister, so we grew up in church. And we grew up really doing a lot of the church stuff, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night visitations. And what had become hard for me as I grew up was just, you know, watching churches where there were people that were yelling and screaming at their wife on Sunday morning, but when they pulled into the parking lot, everything was hunky-dory and nobody ever said anything about it because they were more worried about whether or not you were wearing a suit and tie than if you were okay with your family or if you had addictions or other problems. You didn't talk about those things in those churches. You just didn't. So it just it graded to the point where by my late teens, I really didn't want a lot to do with God anymore. I just didn't. I had grown tired uh, and flustered. And then, of course, anyone doesn't know, I did ship off to basic training, which gives you a whole new perspective on God and on religion. And it brought me back around to the idea that it wasn't, it wasn't Christianity that was the problem, it was the people that I had been around. So once I'd gotten out, gotten the medical discharge, I'd come home. Uh, of course, my dad had tried to put restrictions on how I was going to live when I came home. One of them was I had to be in church until I just got fed up. And he said, basically, you know what? You don't want to go to church anymore. Stop worrying about it. I'm not going to fight with you anymore. And that's what I did. I stopped going to church. I stopped caring until I got hit by a drunk driver. Should have killed me. Had he hit me in a smaller vehicle, it would have lurched the bike backwards. I would have gone through the windshield. So I woke up to the reality that that was God's chance to say, I'm giving you a chance to get it right. And what I basically began exploring from there was the idea of what is real Christianity, authentic Christianity. And the more that I looked into Bible and looked into what was actually said, 
not what I'm being told is said, but was actually said, Christianity was a lot different. It's the inverse of what you're taught is reality, which is you do good things to get good things. But Christianity flips out on its head and says, you do good things because you've already received good things. And it really kind of woke me up to the idea of getting back in the church. Um, needed to find a church that would welcome not just me, but understand that I had specific health needs. So happened to be wandering across the internet, stumbled across Reach Life's Facebook, of all places, reached out and uh, decided to come along and uh, really just have kind of fallen in pretty easily with the group here. And that's really what I had been looking for, I think, for so long, is finding a church where I didn't feel out of place. When you go to a church and you have I'm going to use the term special needs. I know that's got some connotations, but it, it's a reality when you're mentally ill. You have things that people don't grasp. They don't understand the, uh, the struggles that you go through where you can have a day where you just don't feel like you're worth anything, or you can have days where you question uh, whether or not it's worth continuing to go on. And you talk about that to people inside of the church, and the response is the standard Christian response, which is, well, you just need to pray that God will release you from that. Well, God doesn't always release you from what torments you. And sometimes he does it because it's character building or it builds up what he needs in you and wants you to do. So when, when you're talking about somebody with a mental illness, it's not a switch that he's going to turn off and on. Um, so nobody in Reach Life has insinuated or even hinted at the idea that I'm somehow lesser member because I can't do everything else that the church does. Like I can't go on Rome hikes. I mean, some things I just physically and mentally can't do. And nobody here at Average Life has treated me as if I'm something that should be quarantined. I'm never going to claim to be the perfect Christian because I'm not. I suffered from addictions. I've suffered from all kinds of health issues. I've suffered from all kinds of problems. But at the same time, Every time I've wandered away, he's used something to get me back on track. You know, whether it be going through the mental uh, trauma of going through basic to nearly getting me killed in a car accident. It all worked together and it exposed a lot of good things in my life. And that goes back to the idea that the more I read about what the Bible actually says, the Bible does tell you that he's going to give you the tools to help you. He's your dad. He's your brother. He's your father. And he doesn't want to condemn you. He doesn't hate you. No matter how many mistakes you make in your life, he's always there. He's always going to be there if you're just willing to look for him. Kyle, thanks for sharing with us, man. As a self-professed uh, extroverted agoraphobic, thank you for <laughs> thank you for sharing uh, your testimony with us. Um, I just want to walk through a few things and maybe have some follow-up questions for you. You mentioned kind of uh, in the, the church environment that you came out of, uh, kind of a prevalence of hypocrisy, or uh, to use a phrase that we mentioned last week, wearing a mask, uh, people in church wearing a mask. And, you know, that's that's sadly a pretty common and accurate descriptor um, in a, a lot of people's experience of church. But uh, based on what you've seen there and what you've seen um, elsewhere and what you've experienced, what would you say to the person out there who says, well, you know, I can't go to church because it's just a place full of a bunch of bunch of hypocrites. Um, and then uh, what is it about Jesus that makes him worthy of our devotion, even despite the failures of people who claim to follow Jesus? 
to the first question, honestly, uh, this is somebody who would say hypocrisy in the church. Uh, I challenge them to look at their own life, the people they're around regularly, <laughs> because there ain't a single person that has somebody in their life that's not a hypocrite, mm-hmm. including themselves. So mm-hmm. I don't want to hear people say hypocrisy is a reason not to go to church. And when you think about how do you look at God compared to the people that supposedly represent him, he's deity, he's not human, so he doesn't have the frailties. God mm-hmm. is not a hypocrite. He says through the word what he means and what he expects, and that's what you should be living by and stop trying to say, well, the hypocrites are bad, so I don't believe what God says. You're making mm. excuses at that point. It's interesting. It's one of the reasons this Reach Life Church is a side note. We try to lead people to Jesus, not to me or James or, or any of it. We, it's, about, it's about Jesus. I will let you down. Uh, we will let one another down. We try not to, uh, but Jesus uh, never will. That's good stuff, Kyle. Um, you talked about also the difference between people that you were associated with early on who claimed to be Christians, followers of Jesus. And then, um, but you saw that it, it wasn't, what you had rejected was really those people, not actual Christianity. Uh, tell us more about the, like the differences you saw and how you came to see the difference between the two. The difference that I saw honestly comes down to what Paul calls the difference between doers of the word and hearers of the word. Mm. Um, authentic Christianity is about doing and, uh, a lot of the people that I interacted with throughout most of my formative years were do or not doers, they were hearers. They come to church, they get a fill up, they talk the talk, and then they go home and they don't care. They don't care one bit about what God says. They don't care about what the church says. They don't care about any of that because they're just there to hear on Sunday mornings and that's it. And the real, if you go back and you look at what, what again, what the Bible actually says about authentic Christians, you know, uh, you know, Paul says that Christians are to follow the law because they automatically just do it. You do the law. You do what, what God commands. You don't just listen and then forget. And that goes for people who have issues uh, like addictions or anything like that. You know, it's hard to say, well, do what God says while you're fighting something that you know God finds, you know, wrong. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that a lot of it comes down to the idea that a lot of people that I was exposed to early were legalizers. They were, mm. that's the biblical term for them, was legalizers or followers of the law. They, they were legalistic and as opposed to just trying to, like the rest of us, trying to figure it out. Yeah, so, so like uh, following the law for the sake of trying to achieve righteousness versus following the law because Jesus is righteous and he's put that righteousness on you. Yeah. That would be the best way I would put it. Honestly, if more of the people that I grew up around were to go back and reread the first three chapters of Romans, they would absolutely be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> well, we're grateful God wrote a book. That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, you talked about, um, you know, with your, you riding a bike, got hit by a car. You, you talked about how God allows like difficulty to enter our lives. You know, in the case of your car accident, it was caused by somebody else, obviously. We all know that sometimes difficulty comes into our lives because it's it's our fault. <laughs> we, you know, we, we stir up our own difficulty or sometimes it's just natural consequences like, you know, natural disasters or whatever. But you talked about God allowing those things to build our character. Um, what would you say is an example of that in your life? Is there like a specific area of your soul that God has kind of shaped through difficulty that you can look looking back you can say that was that was for my good and his glory what what would be something like that 
it's not something that's in the past, something that's ongoing with me, and that's the idea of me mentally ill, having that diagnostics, you know, involved with all that. It makes you, it really imparts a level of empathy from you to other people. It, sure. it makes it easier for you to understand that other people go through really hard times too. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, not always because sometimes you wall in your own self pity, but there's a lot of times where you find out somebody is going through a cancer scare or a health scare or family member gets hurt in an automobile accident or whatever. And you're authentically ready to reach out and say, what can I do to help you? Mm-hmm. And those people, a lot of people that I've run into that I do that to freak out because they think I'm just being pretentious about it. They don't understand I'm being authentic. Yeah. You know, I know what it's like to go through a hard time. So what can I do to try to help you through yours? And that's, that's a really, that's a really big area that I've been shaped into. That's good. Yeah. Suffering creates compassion, doesn't it? Yeah. If we listen. Uh, last thing, you talked uh, pretty strongly about God's love and faithfulness in there. I, I can say amen to that uh, myself. How would you say um, we as a, as a church, if you could kind of uh, tell us, how can we reflect God's love? and faithfulness as followers of Jesus, right? How can we look like Jesus in that way to people? Uh, I'd actually reflect on two, two parts of the Bible. The first is the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And then the second part is go into the book of Acts and look at how the early church treated people. And uh, if you want to reflect Christ, you want to reflect biblical teaching, treat people with respect and treat them with dignity and be empathetic towards them. Don't pass them off as if what they're going through is not bad or that you can't do anything for them. So you shouldn't really, you know, I'll step back and let the church do it. Mm -hmm. The best way to help people. And I think to really spread the light of the church is to carry the best. The example would be to carry your candle from house to house, lighting those candles. You can put the candle on the hill and you're going to draw people to it, but they not may not bring it home. If you bring Mm -hmm. it to their home, it's a lot better. You're going to spread it a lot further. That's good preaching, Kyle. Hey, man, pass the plates. Oh, we already passed the plates, didn't we? That's good. That's good. Thank you for sharing, Kyle. Um, next, we'll hear from Cindy Libert. This is Cindy's testimony. I was born in a small town in southern Illinois, and I was raised in an agnostic home. My mom was raised Catholic, and so just um, out of her desire to give us a a moral framework, her and my dad sent my sister and I to a Catholic grade school from first grade to eighth grade. But entering into high school, I questioned everything, and I rejected anything that I felt was dogma, and that definitely continued through college. And in college, I, I absolutely loved my theology classes. I took um, different classes on the nature of evil. That was really one of the main themes that emerged for me. If God made us, if he's all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, why is there so much suffering? And that, it really haunted me that question and I remember thinking by the end of college you know I don't have an answer but I feel called in to make a difference somehow by trying to relieve suffering by becoming a doctor and then after med school Pete my husband and I moved with our young daughter at the time to northeast Georgia so I could start a medical practice with a dear friend of mine from residency and 
that was the beginning of a lot of conversations that I had with my friend and her husband about faith. They were both uh, devout Christians and there was um, kind of a longing for what she had, just that that sense of peace and, and just clarity. And in 2008, I believe, I actually went to her church and the pastor, Dr. Fred Lodge, he, he came on you know stage after the end of the concert and he just made a, a simple invitation for us to give our life to God. And I just felt like this peace of like, I can say, yes, God, if, if you're there, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to, you know, I want to connect with you. I want to give my life to you. And I started going to church every Sunday and I got a stack of books like this high. <laughs> I was trying to answer all the, all the questions I had, but they didn't have the same kind of nagging, just grip on me. I felt like um, God was guiding me. And it was the next Easter that our church was having a, a Passover celebration. And I just had this amazing moment of epiphany during that ceremony of the fact that God knew ahead of time, even before he created the world, that we were going to mess up and that we would need a savior. And I felt just this overwhelming love of God for me that he, he would go through all of that to show me, you know, how much he loves me. And, and so my faith has really transformed my life. And with my children, it certainly changed how, what kind of parent I am. So I have different goals as a parent now, not just teaching them how to survive in the world and excel and you know, get the most out of life, but also you know, trying to share with them a spiritual foundation. It's transformed my medical practice for sure. I see it as a ministry, and so it's, it's really shifted my practice of medicine as well. And if I could go back and talk to my 13-year-old self, <laughs> I would just grab myself by the face and just very tenderly say, Cindy, you don't have to figure it out all on your own. It's okay to surrender and just open your heart to God. And I don't have to check my intellect at the door that I can have all my questions and bring them to him. And amazingly, many of them have been answered at such a deep level, I could never have dreamed that it would be possible to have this kind of understanding. And I'm just grateful that we do have a God that is who he says he is and is unchanging. And it's uh, just a really wonderful thing to be able to have that foundation. Thanks for sharing your story with us. Uh, so you you mentioned in there um, you had a couple of friends who um, kind of came along came alongside you, and that there was a, a point where at at a church service where you had you're like, oh, I, you know, something kind of clicked with the pastor was preaching, but 
you know, we all have experiences in life that kind of lead us up to prepare us for moments like that. Um, what would you say would be some maybe conversations you had with those friends or other friends or people that led you to, you felt prepared your heart and mind for that, that moment? Yeah, so actually when I reflect back on my life, I actually now see that God was pursuing me since I was a little girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he placed people in my life, uh, in particular my, my aunt, my mom's sister, who's a believer, and I had a, a dear friend in medical school, uh, Dr. Jill Carnahan, and then my, my partner and colleague, uh, Dr. Michelle Thompson. And all three of them, it wasn't any kind of intellectual conversations that they persuaded me. It was really me observing their life and just their presence and being. They, there was just a kind of an internal beauty mm. and a knowing and a peace and, and their faith. I really admired it. I didn't, I desired it, but I didn't know how to get it. <laughs> I didn't think it was for me. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was just their example. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, I had questions, I had conversations where I would ask them my intellectual questions and they didn't really have good <laughs> answers for me. So it wasn't an intellectual kind yeah. of thing. God yeah. just prepared my heart, you know, with my, education and the people yeah. you put in my life. Good. Good. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, you also mentioned with kind of the, the journey with that church and that church was doing like a Passover meal. And you said that, that, that really the light bulb came on for you in understanding the gospel. And I wondered if you might unpack that a little bit for us. We're gospel. We try to be a gospel centered congregation. Um, and it's, I mean, I can really understand how that Passover meal does that. You, you want to tell us more how that happened for you? How did you see the gospel in the Passover? Yeah, so going back to my childhood, and I was at the Catholic grade school, and I learned the basics of the New Testament stories, and I learned some of the Old Testament stories, but I never connected the two together. No one ever helped me yeah. to synthesize it, to see the whole arc of of God's plan for redemption of humanity. And so just, it all came together for me uh, during that ceremony. Just um, our pastor was friends with a Messianic Jewish man and he came and led us through a cedar, Seder mm -hmm. meal, the traditional Jewish celebration to remember how God delivered the people out of Egypt and, and spared them with the blood of a perfect lamb, you know, mm -hmm. over the door frame and just seeing how it's a picture of Jesus. And it just blew me away in that yeah. moment. Just, I was yeah. overwhelmed by this, how amazing our God is and yeah. how brilliant, <laughs> just the symbolism, the beauty mm -hmm. and, and the fact, the forethought that he knew ahead of time oh, yeah. before the foundation of the world, that that's what he would do. And yeah. Just giving us that object lesson, you know, over time. Very cool. Very cool. And you mentioned that um, your friends' conversations with you weren't intellectual. Um, this Passover thing seems to have, there, there's, a, there's a cognitive thing that happened, but there was a really heartfelt response from you. But um, you consider yourself to be an intellectual person, right? You're a scientist, you're a doctor. Um, 
And you said that early in your walk with Christ, you bought stacks of books, right? That's how you said it in your, your testimony, <laughs> to learn about the faith. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people see Christianity and uh, the intellectual life as oil and water. You know, like the, those two don't really mix. Um, so I have, a, I have a couple of questions. Um, first, would you say that, uh, or what would you say to a skeptical person out there who says that, Christianity is anti-intellectual. Let's start there. Well, I'd go back to what my video testimonial, you know, but if I could talk to my 13-year-old little intellectual self, right. <laughs> I would just say that, you know, trying to find God with your brain only, with your mind, trying to figure things out and get all the questions answered, that can be a really lonely place of, you know, angst and turmoil, and it's okay to just surrender your questions and, and just to, you know, with an open heart and open mind to come to God because he, he invented all things. <laughs> he invented physics and mathematics. Yes, it is. And he has all the answers, and, and he will reveal them mm -hmm. to us over time mm -hmm. in his time. And and since coming to faith, I, I feel like I've gotten just amazing answers to my questions that I didn't think were answerable. Yeah. Not that I have all of them answered yet, but I, I have a piece now. So sure. my advice would be just, uh, you know, surrender and open your heart. Appreciate that. And, and so my, my second question on that is uh, kind of the, the, the flip side. Um, you know, there, there's the other side of it where Christians often um, forget that we not only love God with our heart, we should also love God with all of our mind, Jesus says, right? So that it's, a, it's a both and situation. So uh, what would you say are some ways that you as an intellectual Christian try to love God with your, with your mind? Uh, and and how, what would you recommend to the Christian out there who maybe doesn't see the need to love God uh, to the now we all have different levels of mental capacity and what but with with our own capacity, um, what would you say that um, what would your advice be to them on how they could love God with their minds and what are some things that have worked for you? Uh, so, well, there's just such richness and deepness in all of the natural world and in nature and you know, human interactions and reproduction and sociology and just every discipline. So anything that interests you, you can find God's fingerprints there. And it's just faith Indeed. affirming and deepening. So I would just encourage you with whatever you do, just to look at it with, you know, the eyes of, of God, um, as our creator and, and what he's revealing to us. And, um, yeah, he's, he just, uh, for me, it is really the integration of the yeah. head and the heart knowledge. Because mm -hmm. when I, you know, when I look at my cell biology textbook <laughs> and I see all the just absolutely mind-blowing processes that mm -hmm. keep us alive, mm -hmm. it just I I'm in awe of God and mm -hmm. it makes me fall, you know, deeper in love with him and, and just, you know, it helps uh me understand that we are so 
precious <laughs> to him and mm -hmm. cared for and known. So it's really good. Yeah. And, and we'll get to Marvin and Debbie next, but Marvin, the chemist over there saying amen to, to all of that, right? Yeah. Um, thank you, Cindy, for sharing. This is Marvin and Debbie Davis's testimony. I was raised in a family where uh, everything was difficult when I went to school. And so I didn't have a lot of resources, and so I had to work at least two jobs. And I was in my uh, senior year at Chapel Hill when I met Debbie. Marvin was working in the concession stand of the dorm where we were living in. It was a co-ed dorm, and uh, one of my friends and I decided we'd go down and get something uh, to eat or drink. And this little fella says, could you bring me something to eat? And I'm like, you're working in a concession stand. Why do you need something to eat? So we went back to the elevator and I told her, I said, I'm gonna take him something to eat. You just never know. <laughs> we started dating and we got married that summer. When we got married, we were both about as poor as you could get. We could put all our possessions in the trunk of a Volkswagen. I'm talking about a Beetle Volkswagen. The only place we could afford was way out in the country, and uh, Swepsonville. And the place was so bad that we fell through the, the bed, fell through the floor. <laughs> Just a cheap place, so times were tough. But they were, they were actually good times. We have three children. We have two boys and a girl. And our mindset was we have to raise our children in church. They have to be in church. They have to know about Jesus and love Him. You know, so we, we always went to church. I was heavily involved in my kids' activities. Uh, coached a lot of their sports teams. You know, kids, uh, they don't pay any attention to what you say, but they sure, uh, you know, pay attention to what you do. And your time is your most important commodity. And so if you give them your time, you're giving them your most important thing you can give to them. It's very interesting. We talked about parenting a lot. And you parent, and you turn around, and you're old. And you're just, it just like it, it just smacks you. You're old. So right before I retired, we both knew that I was facing multiple surgeries. And Marvin committed to, you know, to be there to help me. He has taken excellent care of me uh, above himself. Uh, he has cared for me through two knee surgeries and three foot surgeries. This is, uh, I cared for Debbie. She, she cared for me through three separate back surgeries. Uh, she, she was as faithful, I mean, I don't, I would, never, I would have never made it without her. And I tell you, we just take turns. So hopefully now we're in a, we're in a respite now. So we're gonna, hopefully we can enjoy a good year. Next month, Debbie and I will have been married for 51 years. And the way that we've been able to stay together for so long is by simply remembering that marriage is 100%, 100%, both ways. 50-50 marriages will never work. One more thing that's so important, so important, uh, a marriage is a bond. 
It's a covenant between you, your wife, or you and your husband and God. It's sacred, like Christ and the church. So what's between you and your wife should be between you two and nobody else. You don't need to get your children involved. You need to present a unified front with your children. I would encourage women to pray a lot, to lift up their husband in prayer and their family. And it also helps, like Marvin has this tremendous sense of humor, and humor covers a whole lot in a marriage. It can just, you know, break a tense moment down and just, you know, just kind of wash over it. Jesus makes all the difference because I know that regardless of what happens to me, I win. I'm gonna be good no matter, no matter what happens. And I know that things don't matter. I know that people and relationships are the thing that's important because one day all this is going to be gone. Through Jesus, we learn how to care for others. And through His qualities, we can grow more like Him and love other people in a whole different realm of love that you know, the world cannot understand. But we can love them in that way. And I think that's why Jesus makes all the difference. Well, somebody's chopping onions in here. That's all I know. Thank you guys for sharing your testimony. Um, let me, let me uh, start by making a personal note. You know, y'all may have noticed while they were kind of reminiscing in the video, Debbie's thumb sitting there rubbing Marvin's knee the whole time. They've been holding hands right, right here the whole time. And, man, I just want to say that, uh, man, the way you guys love each other, you cherish each other. You admire one another, and that's inspiring. People, I, by God's grace, I love Kelly that way, you know. So thank you, thank you for that, uh, Marvin. You said in there that uh, early on times were hard, but they were good times. Now, to some people, that's a contradiction in terms, right? Like you said they're hard, but you also said that they're good. Uh, what in your mind made those hard times? Also good ones. You know, I, I guess it was because when we got married, you know, I was the oldest of three, and then he was the oldest of four. And we were so young that our siblings were all still in school, school children. Hmm. So our parents had their hands full. So basically, we were financially independent with no money. <laughs> nice. And so, and so we had that. And, so, and then... Uh, We'd only been married a little over a year when we had our first child, and I got transferred to Virginia. And so, uh, of course, we're talking about practical now and people, because we know, you know, gods and all this. But, you know, it's, it's nothing but her and I in another state, you know, a couple hours away, you know, having to pinch our pennies, and yeah. we're, we're the support system. Right. You know, we're pretty much it. And uh, it got cold. And I remember uh, that's when fuel oil, number one, uh, K1, was 16.9 cents a gallon. And and the fuel oil would get low. And just to make sure we get through the night, I'd go buy a dollar's worth of uh, K1. By the way, that was less than a dollar. Yeah, yeah. Five gallons and pour it in the oil tank. Wow. You know, to make sure we get through the night. But, you know, but what made it so good was it was simple. Mm. 
I mean, there's just two of us, you know, getting through. Didn't have all the social media. There, <laughs> there weren't any worries about all the, you know, you know, all the trivial stuff. You know? And uh, we just did one outside activity. You know, we went. We were members of the square dance club. Yeah. <laughs> nice. You know, this the interesting. It was, it was simple. Yeah. I think that's a great, you know, and it's not only something that can happen back then. I I think um, the simplicity of focusing on one another, caring for one another, um, leading one another uh, to Jesus, life can still be simple, can it? It sure can. Debbie, you said, um, you, you talked about Marvin's sense of humor in there. But you all, look at Debbie's smile. <laughs> Debbie... You also have have a joy about you, and both of both of y'all like do that in the midst of suffering, right? Um, I, I've, I've told y'all before. I I feel like a, a wimp when I think about you guys. <laughs> You're tough, uh, but joyful. So, what is it that helps you maintain this sense of humor and joy, even in in difficulty when hardships come? Just knowing God is so faithful. Mm. That he's always there, and just um, knowing that Marvin will be there, um, that to me is um, just very reassuring and comforting. Our kids have stepped up, and just you know, they all help take care of us and look after us, and that that means a lot too. Mm-hmm. That that does, and um, God gives us such a blessing of joy and peace, and I think one of His greatest gifts is laughter. Yeah. And just enjoy the laughter and yeah. enjoy the time. It's good. It's good. This one's for both of you. Uh, you both talked about how the other one served you selflessly, right? You, Marvin says you, you take turns, right? Um, uh, why? Why? What, what, what compels you to serve one another that way? That's, um, that's for some reason in the world today, that's extraordinary, right? So what, what compels you to... To serve one another that way. So you're so glad that you have an opportunity to help somebody. Yeah. You know, when somebody takes care of you, you say, gosh, I got a chance where I can, you know, help somebody I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I care about. And the one thing that you can't really communicate to somebody is you can get our age. If you ask us to give our testimony, you say, well, which one? Right, right. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, which one do you want? Yeah. And then I'd have a, he said, well, pick one. Well, I'd have a hard time deciding, yeah. you know, which one to, to give. Yeah. And we could do the same thing for each other. No question. If you want to give a particular help. No so question. I would say gratitude. Oh, gratitude does it. But we don't have to think about it. It's just. Yeah, it's a heart of gratitude. Even, yeah, it's just second, second nature. Yeah. That's good. Debbie, you have anything you want to add to that? Um, I think that we need to remember that we made a covenant before God and we made a commitment to each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to know that Marvin is there, how can, I, how can I not serve him joyfully? You know, just knowing all that he has done for me. Yeah. There's something uh, that reflects the gospel, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, indeed. Um, this last one is for the both of you as well. Um, Marvin, you talked about time being the most precious commodity, especially with when it comes to family. And Debbie, 
you said, uh, <laughs> all of a sudden you turned around and you're old, right? And it slaps you in the face. Um, what would you guys say to those of us younger, um, and I'm, I'm now like the, the older part of this congregation uh, in some ways, but uh, what would you guys say first uh, to those of us who are younger and how, who we, how should we view the time that we have left? You know, and uh, what, what, what would your advice be to us first? And then I want you to give some advice to your contemporaries, people who are in the same stage of life that you are. I'll make a few comments. And most of you know this, for those you don't, our oldest son turns 50 in a few weeks. So that kind of set, sets our stage. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, first of all, I would, for younger folks and everybody, I would remind you that every day is a gift. And if you get up every day and realize that every day is a gift and consider it a non-renewable resource. Mm-hmm. So once it's gone, you'll never ever get it back. So every day, so, so I remember that every day is special. Yes. And sometimes when you're young, you don't really realize that, that your days are, that your days are numbered. And especially if you got children, uh, you know, it seems forever but your children get grown and they get, uh, get grown up and leave quicker than you think they do. And so while they're young, enjoy, enjoy your children and spend as much time with you as you can. And then the second thing I do is say, just keep your priorities straight. Because whenever I got fouled up, it would be when I lose sight of my priorities. And, and the way I would always give them is that God has got to be number one always. And then if you're married, your spouse has always got to be number two. That number change, that never changes. And then third, uh, your children and then your family has got to come third. And your children can never be, uh, you know, take, uh, be the same as your spouse. It's always got to be your spouse. And then the fourth one has to be the church. I didn't say your church. I said the church. Mm-hmm. The church has to be. And then the rest of them doesn't really matter. <laughs> right. That's good. That's good. That's good. And you know, and the one thing that Kyle hit on, I think, is so important is that remember that everybody has adversity and has heartache and oftentimes tragedy in their lives. And if you haven't had it yet, you just haven't lived long enough. And what defines our character is how we deal with these things. And and when you got children, your children are watching. And, and how you deal with those things is, a, is one of the biggest testimony that you can give. Mm-hmm. Is they're watching how you deal with things is how they'll deal with things. And, and I've learned that uh, kids don't pay any attention to what you say, but they pay, they pay absolute attention to what you do. Mm-hmm. Because I realize that the things I said doesn't really matter much, but things I've done... It's the same things that my children have done. Mm-hmm. Better for better or for worse, right, right, Marvin? <laughs> like, uh, especially my, uh, uh, like my younger children, my younger son. You know, I coached his uh, his soccer teams, and uh, you know, both my uh, both my older children have coached their kids. You know, been coaches mm-hmm. in their teams, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, along those lines. So, uh, yeah. what Debbie? What would you add to that? I would just uh, ask that parents cherish every moment with their children. Um, 
because truly, you don't think it's going to happen, but you turn around and you're old and your children are grown and you have grandchildren who are having children. Right, right, right. <laughs> so just, and I would also say to enjoy your time with your parents and your grandparents. Mm. To um, just love them well. That's good. Because you turn around and you realize you're the old one and they're helping you. Yeah, so, that's good. But just love, love your parents and grandparents well. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I've learned, too, I, I learned, especially since I've lost the use of my right shoulder and several different things, you know, you don't waste time worrying about what you can't do. Because spend your time doing all the things you can do. Because there's so many things you can do that if you worry about stuff you can't do, you're just wasting time. That's good. That's good. Can we can we have a hand for our testimony givers? Thank you. Listen, this is a um, seeing how Jesus uh, changes a life and shapes a life and grounds a life is beautiful, and God is kind of weaving us together as a church. As we hear from, we we got a lot to learn from one another, don't we? Uh, we we all need each other because we all need the Lord, right? And we point one another to Him. So thank you guys. Uh, you can go ahead and step down. Pastor James is going to come lead us in the Lord's Supper.